Now, here's what you're going to know. Ecclesiastes. It was written by a man who was considered to be the wisest man that ever lived. Not only was Solomon considered to be the wisest man, he was also considered to be the richest man and the most influential man throughout human history. So you can do a biographical sketch on Solomon yourself, but when it came to money, when it came to wealth, when it came to influence, and even when it came to wisdom, people looked and said, he's the most brilliant person that has ever lived. Now, we laid out the premise statement of Ecclesiastes that everything in the world is meaningless when you exclude God. What that means is everything that happens on this planet, when you do not have Christ at the center and you're not submitting and seeking out God daily, it's meaningless. It's not going to last. It doesn't really matter long term. Now, God did something for Solomon that he had never done for anyone else. You can pick up the pages of Scripture and start to study it. But God did something for Solomon that was very unique. Second Chronicles chapter 1, it's in your bulletin. God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And he said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied to the Lord, you have been so faithful and kind to my father David. And now you've made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, please keep your promise to David, my father. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. You've put me in a position of leadership over all these people. What do you want, Solomon? Give me wisdom and knowledge to rule them properly this people, Israel, for who is able to govern this great nation of yours implied if they don't have wisdom and if they don't have understanding. So Solomon prayed that God would give him wisdom. Now, I, I want you to think about this. Give me wisdom. That's what I'm longing for. And because of his prayer for wisdom, God ended up blessing him with affluence and wealth and all this that we've mentioned. Nick and I were talking through this conversation in my office the other day. My 17-year-old son, Jesse, walks in. And Nick says, no, Jesse is ignorant to the conversation. He has no clue what we're talking about. But Jesse walks in and sits down, and Nick goes, hey, Jesse, got a question for you. If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask him for? And Jesse pauses and looks and says, a new truck. I want a new truck. I want something that's going to probably last 15 years and rust and fall apart. If I could ask God for anything, and I'm like, oh, only to be 17 years old again and live for the moment. But here would be the question, and here's really the question. If you could ask God right now for anything, Without allowing even the text of Solomon to cloud your perspective for a second, what would you ask God for? What, what are you seeking God for today? When you pray, what are you asking God to do in your life? 
Solomon prayed for wisdom and understanding. Understanding is having the the right facts, if you will, or at least having good information and ideas. And there's a lot of people that are labeled wise that just have knowledge. They just have information. Wisdom is the ability to discern and use right knowledge in an accurate way that glorifies God. And so Solomon is like, anything, I need wisdom. But the fundamental problem with Solomon is when you study the book of Ecclesiastes, as well as diving into Proverbs, Solomon didn't take his own advice. And there's so many of us that have flirted with the things of God, that associate with church or whatever, but, but the problem with so many of us is not knowing what is right the problem is actually doing what we know is right. There, there's this gap between executing and implementing what God says. If we're not careful, we will a la carte scripture, kind of like going through a buffet line and you kind of pick and choose what you want. We will a la carte only what we like that's convenient for us and apply it to us. All the while ignoring other truths that God has laid out. What do you want? Now, here's the problem with wisdom. You're responsible for what you know. Here's the problem with ignorance. You don't even know there's a problem. You ever seen people that way? It's like, man, this dude is just ignorant. Well, the root word of ignorant is to ignore. This was interesting last Sunday for me. Okay, so we're having this conversation in our living room. And our friends Hannah and Corey were over hanging out with us. There were quite a few people in the room. And I was telling the people, I said, here's something interesting. Last Sunday morning, I was driving in. I stop at Kroger. I want to get gas. Pull over to the gas pump, throw the card in, punch in the code, take the pump, insert it into my truck. And I noticed on the other side of the pump, there was a girl 19, 20-year-old girl getting gas. But as I looked at her, I noticed she was crying. And she was looking at her cell phone and she was weeping. And I was like, wow, she's hurting. So I walk around and I look at her and I say, you look so distressed and hurt right now. Are you okay? And she begins to weep. Somebody stole money from me. I didn't have much already. And she's all upset, 19, 20 years old. And I said, I'm so sorry you're hurting. Can I pray for you? And I put my arm around her, and she just leans in and starts to weep. And I prayed for her. So I'm telling this story. Corey looked at me and said, does that happen to you all the time? I said, that's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Does it happen to you all the time? I said, the real question is not does it happen to me all the time. The real question is, what do you notice? What, what do you notice that's happening around you? And when you start to apply knowledge and information and God starts to illuminate your mind with wisdom, you start to notice things differently. You're able to discern moments. And I think God is teeing up opportunities all the time saying, check, check it out. That, that person's hurting. That person's hungry. That person's broke. That person." Look, I'm giving you an opportunity to extend the love of Christ. And I really believe with all my heart, 
they're teed up opportunities for us all the time. So what, what do you want? I, I, wanna, I want wisdom. And that's what God tells us even in Scripture. He tells us in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, let, let him come to God who gives to all generously. So, so each and every one of us are a candidate for the wisdom of God if we really seek God and really desire to know the heart of God. Wisdom is the ability to take the God-style statements of theological truths and apply them, implement them, and be able to discern as we do life. Now, we're going to break down chapter 1. And uh, Solomon was a man who tried it all, who blew it, who wasted so much of his life. And, and he says, when you do life apart from God, it's not going to work. There's a lot of people in this room right now that if I said, how many of y'all have jacked it up and wasted some of your life because you chose to do life apart from God? Let me see a show of hands. Some of y'all would have both hands raised, would be dancing in the aisle saying, bro, if you only knew me. I want to make three observations for you today and unpackage Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now, every year we go through a book of the Bible, and we're going to stay in this one for about nine weeks. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1, what Solomon basically is laying out, ordained by God, is this. Listen to it. When you eliminate God from being the center of your life, what's the point of life? What's the point? I typed that in even this morning while I was doing cardio on the elliptical. What's the point of life? It took me to some Reddit page. I'm reading this person share how they are contemplating suicide. Oh, I had some church experience. Now, the only way suicide would make sense for me right now is if I still kind of hung with some of those Christian beliefs because then I could at least believe I would go to heaven. But I'm so depressed. Life is not worth living. And I started reading other people's comments from a secular humanist standpoint of how you need to change your med and how you need to get into more counseling. And all of it was counsel apart from God. No, nobody included any God-style wisdom. Nobody was encouraging anybody to take a, a necessary stride toward the creator that made them. Hey, hey, what's the point of life? Now, Solomon's a trip. A lot of times when you read from authors and books, it, it takes you a few pages or even a few chapters to kind of get to what they are really trying to say. Not, 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 not Solomon, not Mr. Wisdom. Right out of the gate, he just throws his cards on the table and says, here's where I'm going. That's what he says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Koaleth, the gatherer, the collector. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Five times in one verse, he uses that vanity. 38 times in this entire 12 chapter little book, he uses the word vanity, meaningless, soap bubbles, vapor, breath. And right out of the gate, he's saying that when you do life without including God at the center of your life, you're just you're vanishing. It doesn't matter. What's the point? And I think a lot of us have been there. What, 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 what's the point? When we want to emphasize something today, 
If I sent you a text and I really wanted to be emphatic, I would say I will not, and I may capitalize in OT, be hanging out with you today. Not, 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 not in this culture. When they wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat the word. Holy, 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 Isaiah would say. You, you will see that oftentimes under the Hebrew mindset. The word will be repeated for emphasis. Solomon goes, vanity, 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 meaningless. What's the point? Where is it going? What's the point of being on the planet? What's the point of doing anything? It's kind of crazy, right? Is there anything more brutal that you could imagine than to come to the end of your life and to realize that you live for nothing? I mean, you get maybe 70 years on the planet, and all of a sudden, you take that final breath, and people go, what, what, what did he live for? What was the point of his life? And they go, empty, meaningless, vain. That would be terrible, somebody calling me going, hey, I want you to do a funeral for this dude. Hey, tell me the point of his life. It was empty. It was shallow. It was meaningless. He lived for him. He was a narcissistic, egotistical, hell-raising fool. What, 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 what you want me to say about him? Tell me a good story or something. Well, he drank like a fish and he smoked like a chimney and he cussed like a sailor. But what was the point of his life? He had no point. You, you, ever, you ever been there? You ever felt like your life was just spiraling out of control? Have you ever been there where you've asked the question, come on guys, what's the point of being on this planet? We've dealt with the athletic and kind of celebrity community for the last 25 plus years, 30 years, Barb and I have. It's interesting. A lot of times when you ask people, hey, tell me who you are. If we're not careful, we give names and we give occupations. Well, I'm so-and-so, I'm married, I've got X number of kids, and I do this for a living. No, 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 tell me who you are. Without using your name, without using your job description, without using a title, tell me who you are. And so many people struggle contemplating that. Because when it comes to cutting ourselves open and, and really starting to identify what are the core operational beliefs deep down inside my heart, I call it the cop. What is your cop? What is the core operational belief that drives you? What are the character traits that really mark you? A lot of people go, I don't know. And if we're not careful, it's so easy to get caught up into just routine and just cycle through life where life really doesn't have much of a point to it. Growing up in Noonan, I would hear people say this at times, hey, what's up? Oh, dude, you know, just same old, same old. Same old, same old. What does that mean? It means every morning I get up out of that same old bed and I walk into that same old bathroom and I look at that same old toilet and then I stop at that same old mirror and look at this same old face and I get in that same old shower and I wash this same old body and I walk into that same old closet and look at them same old clothes and I put them on the same old body 
And I walk into that same old kitchen and I open that same old fridge and I get that same old stinking milk and I eat that same old cereal and I make me a cup of that same old coffee. And then I walk out that same old door through that same old garage to get in that same old car and I drive down that same old road to that same old job to work with them same old people. And then at 5 o'clock every day, I get back in that same old car and I go down that same old road. And I get back to that same old house and walk in that same old door only to hear them same old kids with that same old noise as I sit in that same old chair and look at that same old TV. Like, <laughs> that's boring. That's driving me crazy. I mean, it's Groundhog Day. Figure it out. But, but, but have you ever heard people say that? It's just the same old, same old. What's that doing for you? Were you created just for the same old, same old? Were you seriously created for a life of meaningless routine? Come on. And there's so many people that get stuck and get stranded because of the frustration and I believe in our culture because we don't have anything more than the moment to live for and we're excluding God and we're not submitting to God that we feel so frustrated and so much pain at times that we swing open the doors and we start to sedate, medicate, and validate with sex, alcohol, and drugs because it's just the same old, same old. And before you know it, the same old, same old leads to addiction and leads to bondage and leads to strongholds. Is that really all there is? Solomon says, no, fear God. Keep his commands. Seek him. He's fresh. Great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, Lamentations writes, is the freshness of God. He, he invites you into his presence. He wants you to walk with him. He, he's, he's a new God. He's doing something new every day. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. There, there's life to be lived and there's energy to be had. That's the reason I was writing and I was like, man, there's three crucial questions to get you out of the pointless pursuits. The question of existence, why am I alive? I'm alive to know God, enjoy God, worship God, glorify God with everything I do. Why are you alive? You're alive because of God gave you the, the breath of God so that you could worship him and walk with him and know him. That's why I exist, yes. And it doesn't matter if you're 8 years old or 18 years old or 92 years old. That's why we exist. We exist, we move and have our breath and have our life to glorify God, to know God, to enjoy God. But so many of us find ourselves tangled up in this web of chaos today because we made so many decisions independent of God and we've excluded God. The question of existence, why am I alive? The question of significance, does my life really matter? Yes, your life matters, your story matters. God's crazy about you. You're not an accident. You're providentially created by God. And so many people struggle through that. Does my life really matter? It does matter, but it will not have much weightiness when you try to live it apart from God. 
What are you saying? When you start to walk with God and worship God and enjoy God, don't miss it. Our prayer for every person that walks on this campus is to see that person who cautiously attends to become truly converted to the gospel. Once a person is truly converted, we desire to see you committed, walking in the fullness of the hope of the gospel. Then we want to see you contributing. We want to see you connected. We want to see you enjoy fellowship. We want to see you giving and loving and serving. You see, the end is not praying a prayer so you can dodge hell. The end is really becoming a disciple maker of the king so that I can enjoy him with others forever and ever and ever. That's what, that's what, that's what the gospel is. Go and make disciples. Disciples. Well, I, I think that means go and make those who will show up on Sunday morning for 80 minutes and sit there and chill and then they leave and just do the same old, same old. That's not a disciple. That's misery. That's stable misery. That's confusion. Meeting Jesus is going all in. There's a point to living. So the three questions, existence, significance, and then the question of meaning. What should I be pursuing? The will of God, the word of God, the ways of God. I should be pursuing the things that glorify God. Man has tried to answer these questions without God. Don't miss it. And the answers they arrive at are dark and disturbing. Darwin and science basically say you are the accidental byproduct of nature, matter, time, and chance. That's all. There's no reason for your existence. All you do is ultimately face death. That's it. That, that, that's what the secular humanist is teaching. That's what science in the school has to offer as hope. You're, you're just an accidental byproduct of cosmic gases coming together to create nothingness. Really, that's the only hope we can offer people? No. There's a point to life. God loves you. God made you. He's Nailed his son to redeem you. There's a point to living, but when you do it apart from God, it's empty. Here's the second point. What will you gain in doing life apart from God? What do you really gain day in and day out? He lays out the truth, right? It's all vanity. It's just meaningless. Doing life apart from God is a joke. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to accomplish anything. And then he asks this major question in verse 3. He goes, what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Under the sun. 29 times he uses that phrase. 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun, under the sun, under the sun means doing life excluding God. Doing life apart from the resources that God has given us. Doing life without seeking the heart of God. He, he's laying it out going, what advantage is there? What, what, what do you gain? The message, I love the message, Eugene Peterson. He says, what's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone under the sun? What, what, what do you gain? And Jeff, I, said, I, I mentioned this to you the other day, but the word advantage there is a person who Lee owns a business. And what he's saying is, I own this business. And then 
after I've paid all my employees and paid all my vendors and I've settled the accounts with all these other people, I, 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 I pick up my checkbook and there's nothing left. He's like, after you've done life under the sun, apart from God, what is the advantage of it? You get to the end and realize that you have nothing to show for it. He only uses that word advantage one time in scripture, and it's here in Ecclesiastes chapter one. Would you like to have a business where you worked about 60 hours a week and you paid everybody and you broke your body down and you were fatigued and exhausted after the end of every week and your spouse looks and says, what did you make this week? And you said, nothing. I told my buddy Bert a couple years ago, if the horse is dead, it's time to dismount. And a lot of people are riding on a dead horse called under the sun apart from God and it's not working. Listen to what he says. Verse four. This is really therapeutic. This is really encouraging. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises, sun sets, hurries back to its place where it can rise again. The wind is blowing toward the south and then toward the north. The wind continues swirling on its circular courses, then it returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, they'll flow again. Well, what are you saying, homie? What advantage is it when you do life apart from God? It's like being on a treadmill. You might feel good, but you ain't going nowhere. And that's the emphasis. He's laying out what do you gain in life in this tireless cycle of even maybe accomplishing a few things, but you've done it apart from God. You're going to die. You're going to have to meet him. You need to learn to live with eternity as the backdrop. William Lane Craig, I was reading him the other day. I want you to hear this. He said, if there is no God, then man and the universe are prisoners condemned to death. We just wait for our unavoidable execution. If there is no God, it means that life is worthless and has no significance, value, or purpose whatsoever. And then he goes on to say, if God does not exist, then you are just a miscarriage of nature, thrust into a purposeless universe to live a purposeless life. The greatest arguments that science and man can offer are this. You are a miscarriage of nature. You really don't ultimately matter. Your life really doesn't have that much value. C.S. Lewis said it this way. If I find in myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is this. I was made for another world. I love that. If I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I must conclude that I was made for something beyond this world, something greater and grander than this. Yes, I've climbed the ladder of success. I know, but it was against the wrong building. And I think that's where people land at times. They climb and they claw to the top only to realize it was propped against the wrong building. 
It was not success defined by God. It was not the wisdom of God. It was not the understanding of God. It was the futility of the chase. As I said last week, when you study this, keep in mind Solomon's really theme is the thrill of the chase. I wanted it, I got it, it didn't satisfy. I wanted it, I got it, and it failed me. Here's the third one. What's your purpose? What's what's the purpose? And that's what Solomon is posing here. Everything is so weary and tiresome. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No, No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. We want to see more. No, no matter how many places we go, we want to see more. No matter what we experience, we've got to have more. No matter how much we hear, we're never satisfied with the content. History repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing is truly new under the sun. What can you point to that's really new? How do you know it didn't already exist? We don't know what happened in those former times. And in the future, this is, this is one right here that just staggers me when I'm studying this week. In the future and with future generations, no one's going to remember what we're doing right now. I was pondering that thinking, I don't know what my grandfather was doing December 11th, 1962 when I was born. I know what my mom was doing. But I start to think back, and I'm like, 50 years from now, hey, you know what this dude did on that day? I mean, there's a few references to historical people, right? Yeah, we landed on the moon, and Dumber and Dumber captured that one so beautifully. But there's a few of those kind of events that we look back. But Solomon goes, no one's going to remember what we're doing right now. Which really implies what we're doing right now needs to have meaning and value to it so that God sees it because nobody else is going to remember it. And, and, and so many of us live in this approval addiction society where we're all about people pleasing and reality is nobody's going to remember it a year from now, five years from now. I mean, that's the scary thing, Right? I mean, cremate me, it's cheaper, but my concern is after the potato salad's eaten, how many times are people going to reference me? Oh, Cash, hey, hand me a piece of that chicken and potato salad. He was a good dude, man. But two weeks later, oh, yeah, life goes on. And I think they're going to be playing John Mellencamp and not telling Tim Cash stories. And Solomon is laying it out. A life lived without God is nothing. A life lived without God is vain. A life lived on your own trying to accomplish everything you can don't last. C.S. Lewis said, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. If it is true, then it deserves everything you've got. If it's not true, We shouldn't be here right now. It's either all or it's nothing. If Christianity is true, then it should determine the rest of our lives. The only thing that Jesus cannot be is moderately important to us. He he can't just be this 
random associate kind of relationship that we have at a distance. If he is Lord, he deserves my full attention 24-7. He deserves my affection. And we live in a society of competing influences. But he's saying, trust me, follow me, know me. Thomas Aquinas said, man's ultimate pleasure and purpose consists only in the contemplation of Almighty God. I'm like, that's right. That's right. Your ultimate purpose and pleasure on this planet only consists in understanding God. That's what he told Jeremiah. If you're going to boast, boast that you know me and understand me. Not that you got stuff. Not that you got a new truck. No, homie. Boast that you know me. You understand me. If we focus on ourselves, we ultimately waste our lives, guys. If we focus on our own trivial pursuits, we waste our own lives. And don't miss this. Misplaced worship leads to all types of anxieties and depressions. Misplaced worship. I put something else on the center I allowed something else to govern my life. I've allowed something else to call the shots. Before I was in pastoral ministry six and a half years ago, we were meeting guys. We were about reaching guys with the gospel, people, teaching, training, and sending. The gospel didn't like become relevant when I got here. It was relevant the day I responded to it to me. It's always been relevant, but it became relevant to me. Go and make disciples. See people converted to me. See people completed in me. See people commit to me. See people connect. See people contribute. See people get the portrait of what the gospel is all about. But I'm telling you right now, If we focus on God as the true center of our lives and we start to honor him and worship him and serve him and seek him every day, I promise you it's going to change for you. I promise you it will change. When he becomes the object of your affection, you won't live with the Solomon syndrome. You won't be sitting around just, well, life's boring. No, life's boring when you exclude God. St. Augustine, listen to what he said. He who has God has everything, but he who does not have God has nothing. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God. And I'm reading Augustine's quote going, that's it. He who has God has everything. He who has God really has missed it. But he who has God and all this other stuff has no more than he who has God. And so the question is, does God have you? That's the real question, is it not? Does God really have you? And are you surrendered to him? So in October of 85, when I repented, which meant I'm turning, I'm confessing sin and dealing with my life apart from God, And I prayed and asked Christ to save me in October of 85 and meant it and drove the stake in the ground as a 22-year-old dude. I knew that it meant 
that the less wild lovers of sex and drinking and partying and all this stuff, I can't do that anymore. But I don't want to do that anymore because I saw the pain in doing that. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Start getting into the Word. Start pursuing truth. Fell in love with Jesus. And for the last 30 plus years, I'm walking with Jesus and hanging with Jesus every day, every day. And I want him to be the center where he's living his life out in my personal life, in my family and in my community and in my church world and wherever I'm at. I want him to live his life out, right? But I got to know him and I got to seek him. But I want his wisdom and I want his heart. But from the point of surrender, it didn't mean, oh, you're not going to hell, dude, you're good. No, Romans 6 says, shall we continue to live in sin so that God's grace may abound more freely? No, that's stupid. No, it should cause you to fall in love with the Savior. Pursue him, know him, share him. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information uh, will answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through and you're like, uh, I-, I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.